0: Good morning, good morning. (laughs) I love seeing so many people spending time just getting to know each other this morning. Awesome. I also love seeing all the bright colors out there. Happy Easter, everyone. Um, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Ashley. I have the privilege of getting to do today's scripture reading with you all. We will be reading um, the full chapter of Matthew 28. So if you want to open your Bibles, I'll give you a few seconds to get there. Also in the blue Bibles on the ends of the pews, if you didn't bring your own, you can open to page 487. Matthew 28. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. For the fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He's not here, for he has risen. And he sa- a- as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. And there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went to the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes up to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go before and make, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: Thank you Ashley. Good morning. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for your mercies. What story is like this story? What hope is like our hope? Even death could not conquer it. In fact, death became its servant. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there are a lot of reasons that I'm a Christian, but one of them is that it's the best story. It's just the best story in all the world. It's the best story in all religions. It's the best story in all um, mythology. It's the true story of God coming to us. Here it is if you're exploring Christianity in a very condensed, brief fashion. The, the greatest among us and the best among us died for the least and the worst among us. And then he rose to tell us that he loves us anyway. So the greatest among us and the best among us died for the least and the worst among us. And then he rose from the grave to tell us that he loves us anyway. That's the whole message of Easter. That's the whole story of the Bible. And as we saw last week, um, this passage and the story of the of the of the triumphal entry, tell the same story in different ways through uh, an announcement and proclamation, adoration, opposition, and then finally proclamation. We're going to look at all those. So my question for you as you're uh, here today as a mature, lifelong Christian or somebody who's exploring the faith is, um, will you be the one this story's for? Will you be among the least and the worst? Because that's who Jesus came, who was the greatest and the best to die for. And he wants to tell you that if you will be that person, he rose from the grave to prove he loves you anyway. So let's now take a look at um, who this first announcement was for. We come to this dramatic scene. These two women um, are coming with spices And they have no expectation, in fact, no one in the whole story, except some people later, even remember what Jesus said about rising on the third day, and they come and there's this great tumult, there's this great earthquake, and there's yet another announcement, like the first announcement we saw last week when Jesus came in on a donkey. This time there's an angel on the stone that was before the tomb, and he declares to who? Well, I want to look at first who receives this announcement. And the first thing that I want us to see is that this story, this announcement, is for the hopeless. That's who these women are. These women are not coming expecting to find anything but the corpse of a beloved rabbi. They want to finish covering him with the the customary spices that the Jews would wrap their dead in in order to, to perhaps we could say, uh, put a cosmetic over the decay and the stench of death in order to pretend that it might not be that bad or there is some kind of hope. These women have no hope. That's important to remember in a world that is completely separated from the dying and certainly from the dead, that um, people didn't just walk around in the ancient world expecting folks to jump back from the dead. In fact, they they were much more acquainted with the dead and what a dead person looked like and what it looked like when someone died than most of us will ever be. And these, in particular, these women and many others saw Jesus ripped apart, his flesh torn, his body pierced, his side struck, they saw him die. And they're coming with no hope, with no hope at all. It's without analog, I should help you understand, the idea of resurrection was believed by most first century Jews as something that would happen at the end of the age. The idea of a single breakthrough, one-off resurrection, no one expected in the religion of their day. That's not why they came. why do the hopeless come? Well, because they have nowhere else to go. You know, there was a morning sacrifice at the temple. They could have gone to the temple for the morning sacrifice. But part of Christianity, in fact, the very heart of Christianity, is that it's a religion for people who have nothing else. They have no other comfort, no other hope. They've tried the, the, the wealth and pleasures and affirmations of the world and so if you're exploring Christianity and you still have other things to check out, if there's still something uh, alluring to you about what the world has to offer, well then the story of the Bible would say you should check that out for a while because this is a place for people that, that have no other place to go like these two women. In fact it was so um, unexpected This was such a community of hopeless people. There's a story in another gospel where uh, a guy named uh, Clopas, and we think maybe his wife, they got up and walked to a no-name town uh, like nobody's ever heard of since called Emmaus. We don't even know where it is. Get this though, they got up and bounced even after they heard the tomb was empty and that people had seen the Messiah. They still left. Christianity and Easter is for people who have nothing else, and that's super hard for people that live in the part of the world that we live in. If if you've got a glimmer of hope, if you've got another handhold, then um, you'll always be leaning into that. But if you if you let go, if you have no hope, or put it this way, the next thing we learn about these two is that that the announcement was given not only to the hopeless, but if you're too weak to hold on to that hope, you still, maybe even part of you wishes were true, then um, take a look at these two women who shame this um, Roman guard. When the, um, these weak, broken, empty vessels who wept through the night, probably didn't sleep that well, saw their beloved Savior die, they come, the contrast between... The, the guards and all their armament and power and these women with a, you know, a bag full of spices is, uh, is intentional in the account of the story. Yet, take a, take a look again at what we read. Who falls down like they're dead? Well, it's the strong men that fall down like they're dead. It's the people that have no sense that there really is only one of us who ever lived, who is really great, who find that their own strength and their own armament and their own authority is sufficient when they hear the announcement from the angel and when the earth shakes and when the stone rolls and when the angel appears like lightning, these brave men, they fall down as dead. Look at what's so striking though. The women don't fall down. Do you see the contrast? They're just watching the whole thing. The weak are the strong and the strong are the weak. If you have another hope, hold on to it. If you have no other hope, this story's for you. If you have enough strength, then you don't need Christ. If your strength is failing, if you find yourself chronically anxious or fearful, well then this, this greatest story, is this announcement is for you. The angel says, to the women, not to the strong, not to the soldiers, don't be afraid. Talk about why he says not to be afraid in a moment, but there's a passage in, um, in, a, in a letter. The guy named Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament in epistles, um, which are letters, and he said, um, consider your calling. He's talking to church in a city called Corinth. Brothers, not many of you are a, so Christians read that, if, you're, if, if you are trained in um, Christianity, you know, that you, you know that's true about yourself, but if you're like the rest of us, including me, you don't think that's really true about you. You think it's theologically true about you, because you're kind of smart, and I'm kind of cool, and I sort of fit in. You didn't have to laugh at the me being cool part. <laughs> I, I'll get that this afternoon when I'm with my adult children, you know. I don't need that. But the fact of the matter is Christianity is for weak people. Remember? The the only one of us who was great and the only one who was good died for those who are the least and those who are the worst. That's this whole account. But but also, going back to this inclination, they had this instinct. um, The angel honors... The Seeker, it's a story for the hopeless, the weak, and the still seeking. That's what's remarkable about um, the whole course of Christianity is what happens as faith emerges in us is that we, we have no hope, but we don't become cynics on the way to Christ. We, we, we're weak, but what strength? He grew up as an atheist, he went to college, he's British, and he... Um, wrote a suicide note, went out to a, a cliff in England to kill himself. And as he looked out over the beautiful English countryside, this is what he said to himself. If, if there's such beauty, maybe there is meaning. And he turned around and started a journey that led him to Christ eventually was a disciple of a man named Francis Schaeffer and then was at the seminary where I went I know do not be afraid says the angel for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified he's not here he is risen as he said come and see the place where he lay then go quickly and tell his disciples This, by the way, is the only angel I know of in the Bible that's sitting down. And that's significant because, in the language of the temple and in the language of uh, the, the metaphors of scripture, when you're sitting down, it's done, you've finished, the work is over, it's time to rest. And this angel, certainly reflective of another angel at another place at another time, who was set on the outside of Eden with a flaming sword standing. Because there's no way back there until Jesus comes out of here, out of this tomb. And this angel says to these, You who still long for Christ, you who have perhaps given up on everything the world has to offer, except you still long, you still hope, you for you, I say, Don't be afraid. And it's really not until here that we get the announcement. I've been speaking this whole time of who it was announced to. It was announced to those who have no hope, those who are weak, but those who still somehow seek and long and are alive to know and hope that there must be something else. To those, they get this announcement. He did die. He's not dead. And he'll come to you. That's what the angel says. You came to seek the one who was crucified. The angel's saying, you're right, he was crucified. If you are exploring Christianity, the crucifixion was, of course, a brutal judicial punishment from Rome. It was vicious. Tens of thousands of people were crucified, sometimes along miles of a roadside, and their decaying bodies would hang for weeks. But theologically, spiritually, that moment when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the true horror of this crucifixion because Jesus, we're told, bore our sins in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Jesus died a judgment death. Not at the hands of Rome only, but at the hands of the Father. This was, the, this was what? This was who? This was the one that was great and the one that was good, dying for the rest of us who were the least and the worst and taking our punishment. And the angel says, the announcement is, yes, he died, and then, but he's not dead now. And listen to what the angel says. The angel says what only Jesus' enemies will find out in a minute, even remember, he did this just as he told you he would do this. There's an indictment there. He's telling these women and all of them, they're the best of the group, by the way. The 12 are over, cowering in a room somewhere, and these other two have split or will soon. He's saying, you should have been ready for this. You should have known about this. In in other words, he's saying, hey, what's up with the spices? Why are you bringing spices? You wasted a lot of church money on spices. Spices. Because Jesus told you this would happen. That's the announcement, but it's not done yet. This is the whole gospel. Jesus died for your sins. Jesus is not dead anymore, and Jesus will meet you. Go tell the disciples. You go tell the world, as we'll see in a minute, and Jesus will meet you in it. And, of course, that's exactly what happens. They do go, and on their way, well... They meet Jesus. I met Jesus when I was 16 by at Camp Castaway Young Life Camp. I sat at a rock next to Pelican Lake and I said exactly what the guy that had been preaching to me all week told me to say. There's a prayer, there's a little prayer. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I could never be right with the Father in heaven you died to take away my sin. Please be my Savior and my Lord. And then, because, by the way, my entire life is one cliche after another. And then I just wept like a child at the report back time. I was just a blubbering um, mess. It's kind of what happens to these, to these women. Jesus appears to them. And the first thing out of his mouth is, Karete, grace. It's a greeting. We get it as a greeting, it's grace grace to you Remember when I said that remember when I said that that the greatest died for the least and the best died for the worst you're about to see what that looks like with these women what did they do what did they do they fell at his feet Whose feet have you fallen at I mean literally have you fallen at anybody's feet Maybe if, if you asked somebody to marry you, you got down to like their knees. On your knee, kind of with their knee. But, you know, it would have been super creepy if you went down to her feet. But, but they, see, they see someone who is so righteous and so good, and I'll say this too, so tough that not even death could kill them. And they show us what the least are like. This is is what Christianity is for. Christianity is for the subjected, those who have been subjected by the grace and the love of God who fall down at his feet. That's the posture of the faith. He is great. I am not. I'm at his feet. Remember John the Baptist? I can't even untie his sandals. And there they are. Is probably true for me and you that we don't, we don't think or spend about going to his feet or spend nearly enough time at his feet with, with our money, with our relationships, with our bodies and our passions and desires, with our dreams, with our families, with our church. We need to bring all that to the greatest, the least bring that all to the greatest. But then what do they find there? He's not only the greatest, but he's also the best. And what do they find there? If you went down to Jesus' feet, like these women did on that day, what would you see? You would see that they were pierced. The Bible says he was pierced for our transgressions. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. When the least go down to the feet of the greatest, they see that he's the best and we're the worst. That, that so great was my sin and my folly and my rebellion. It was so great that the only way for God to give that a pass was to give it to somebody else. And there, when they fell down at his greatness, they would have seen their brokenness, and what it costs them. Christianity does not work if you have another hope and if you don't need to be forgiven. If you have another hope and your sins aren't that bad, then then Christianity is not for you. Because Christianity is for people that realize they could eat the whole world and wake up hungry the next day. Like, there's nothing else that works, and we also realize that uh, fixing ourselves is beyond ourselves. You know, I I could ask you, like, let's forget the Ten Commandments. I could say, hey, make five rules for living. You can make any five rules you want, and then I'll ask you, you make your five, and I'll ask you, could you fulfill those for a month? And the answer for an honest person would be, nope. And that's the problem. <laughs> that's the problem. The problem is that we're broken. Not that, the, that that we cannot reach that, that we need to fall at feet. So there it is. That's the announcement and who it's for. Let's take a look at the uh, opposition, the conspiracy, and then how Jesus answers it. So who's the cons- conspiracy for? We've seen this, the announcements for the for the hopeless and uh, the weak and the seeker, and then the announcement is the gospel. He, he was dead. He's not dead. And he's coming back. He's going to visit you as you call to him. You find he's great and you're not. He's good and you're not. And then there's a whole different set of people. Who's going to buy into this conspiracy that's in the last section of the passage? Well, it's, first of all, it's the unimportant. The unimportant. I'm going to put it that way because Jesus doesn't go to any of them. He, he doesn't appear, the, the, the guards are zoned out, they're in this trance. Uh, he rises from the grave. If I, that's too flippant to say, I could imagine, I could imagine that if I rose from the grave, I would go right back to the people that tried to kill me and make a point. But Jesus doesn't care. The greatest doesn't care about people that think they need to be great, and the best doesn't have space in his heart yet until they're broken for the people that think they're still good. So he doesn't do any of that. Jesus gives everybody a pass, everybody a pass, that won't listen to him. It's also the dead. So it's not only the unimportant, but it's the dead. The emblem of the dead is these guards who trembled like what? Here the Bible says? They fell over like dead men. And then get this, get this. Then they go, to the, they go to make this plan up with the priests and like, oh, tell them you were asleep. So it's just like the, the whole theme is you're checked out. Is that you're just fine with the way the world is. You're, you're on your way to being great and you're good enough. And so you're, you're really spiritually dead, but at least you're asleep to all the world. But then this, this last part is the empowered. So think about these, uh, these guards. By the way, if you lost your prisoner, even if they were dead, I imagine, like you would get killed. That's what they did to guards who lost their prisoners. So they're freaking out. They run over like, we've got, we got to find these guys. And they, they, who do they go to? Well, the, the people who are connected to power go to other people that are connected to empowered. Jesus died for people without power. And they go to these people that have authority, access, and money in this account, and they dream up, as we read about it, as Ashley read about it earlier, they dream up a story. It's kind of a, it's kind of a lame story, but what, what's remarkable about this story is, aside from the angel, the only people in all of the accounts of the passion, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus who ever mention that he said over and over and over again that he would go to Jerusalem, die, and on the third day rise again. The only people that remembered that were his enemies. So they hatched this plan, this story. And that brings us to today. Everyone has a story about the resurrection of Jesus. Most people, at least in our city, The story is it never happened. But I want you to see that that Easter has been kind of a story fight from the very beginning. There was never an age when everybody was like totally into the idea of Easter. There's never part of the church's history or our nation's history or any history where people just were totally ready to believe that some guy rose from the dead. But what's striking about this particular story, not only did they know the Savior's words better than the Savior's people did, at least on that day. What's really remarkable about it is who is the most afraid? Now, I'm pretty sure the guards were afraid because they don't want to die. But if the guards were really afraid, you would think that the guards would give the Pharisees money, right? Because that's what I would do. Here's some money, tell Pilate it wasn't our fault but that's not what happens because the guards might be afraid, but the the people who are in power, the people who are great and good, they're terrified, and that's the real threat of Easter, that the only way to believe in Easter is to admit that you're not great and you're not good, but here's the rest of the gospel. You don't need to be. How much energy have you spent trying to be significant? And how is that going for you? How much striving and faking and guilt and shame have you endured trying to prove that you're good? And how's that going for you? And Jesus, remember, the great one and the good one, he died and rose again to tell you that it's okay. He loves you anyway. He did this so that you, who would never be great without him and never be good without him, don't need to be. You can rest in him. That's the whole story of the gospel. That's the whole account. And here we are today, 2,000 years later. There's still really only two stories. Jesus didn't rise from the grave because one, he maybe never existed, or two, because he was a great teacher, and all them people made a God out of him or something. Or else, there is a community, and there's two billion of us in the world, more than that, who don't have any other hope, who don't have any other strength, but still somehow have found our way to an empty tomb, and Jesus meets them at the end of this passage. And he answers conspiracy and confrontation with a commission. So give me a few minutes to land us here and give us some comfort and hope from that. When this Savior comes to tell us it's okay, I want us to see two things. He gives us the commission of a shepherd. That's the first. And then the commission of a king. What I love about the Bible is that it's so brutally, gently honest about who we are, people like us in this room on days like this. So Jesus meets them, right? Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. If you read the rest of the Bible, you know that they weren't alone. Matthew's focusing on them because he wants to tell us something specifically about them. There's probably maybe as many as 500 people there. Probably about 500 people there. He had been on earth for 40 days um, after his resurrection. Matthew, for his purposes, doesn't elaborate on those. You can find those accounts in in the other gospels. So Jesus shows up. The disciples are there. They're waiting for him in Galilee. This is a big moment, right? Remember, by this time, all of the apostles and many of the people had already seen and dined with him or walked with him and been with him for 40 days. And Jesus comes. And when they saw him, they worshiped, and then what? But some doubted. But that just tells me so much about our hearts. I'm like, if I could see Jesus just once... If I could behold him just, what if I clasped his feet? What if he spoke to me? I'd be okay, wouldn't I? I would be probably okay for a while until the last next wound came or the next loss was visited on me. So this shepherd comes. And you can see what he does to them. um, I love the, the version that we're using, the English Standard Version. It's the... Preferred version. It's the extra special version. That's what that stands for. But they get something wrong here. They say Jesus came to them. There's a little, there's four little Greek letters in the front of that come to them word that, that, uh, that means he approached them. So he comes, he sees them worshiping. So what if you're today and you do believe this, but, but Jesus, but you're also like, I don't know, man, my life hurts. There's a lot of pain in the world. Can this really be true? I believe this is true, but I wonder sometimes, you know what Jesus does? He does what he did to them. He says, he comes to you. He moves into that. Remember, the the greatest knows that everyone else is the least, and the good one knows that no one else is. That's why this whole thing happened. And so he moves into you. And then he asks you to move into him. That's the, that's the second part, as, as the king. Jesus came to them after they moved into them. There was, there was fear and excitement, all the things you would expect. Doubt, which you probably wouldn't expect. And he comes as a shepherd to all these doubting. I mean, just Think about the exasperation of that. I was with you three years. I died for you. I rose. I've been hanging out with you for six weeks and you still don't believe. It's like, okay, I'll just get closer. I'll just love you more. I'll hold your hand. I'm good with you where you are, but don't forget this. It's not only the commission of a shepherd, it's also the commission of a king. Because then when he gets close to all these worshiping, doubting, fearful, joyful people, he says something remarkable that takes him off the list of simply great moral teachers. He can't be simply a great moral teacher if he told all of his disciples that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, unless it truly was. But how does that help answer our doubts, our fears, our anxieties? Because he tells us to lean into life with him by engaging His kingdom through being His disciples. Nothing shores up faith and weakens doubt like day after day of following Christ and doing what He says. But you're not just following Him and doing what He says. What does He say at the end of it? And I will be with you always. Remember we saw at the end of last week that Jesus disrupted the whole temple and then he left to go back to Bethany where there was this resurrected man, Lazarus. This picture. Well, now Jesus is about to leave again. And he gives us this great commission and at the same time says, I'm leaving, but I'm not leaving. You will find me in these places. You will find me in the community of my people here today on this mountain, here this day in this room. You will find me in teaching one another and the world to obey everything I have said and baptizing one another in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I will be there with you. Jesus is always with us forever and every age. And if you want to experience more of that, then do what he says. Do what he says through your doubts, through your fears, through your anxieties. And remember that when you don't do what he says, guess what? The whole story comes down to this. I love you anyway. I love you anyway. That's the Easter story. That's why it's the best story ever. Let me, let me close with, with this account of uh, Bishop um, Jean-Baptiste Messiaen of Paris who was officiating over Louis XIV's funeral. Louis XIV uh, was great, he said he was great. You can ask him, he would have said, yes, I am great. He thought he was good and he orchestrated his entire funeral including the placement of the casket of a gold-covered casket under this with the light on it coming from a window at a certain time of day underneath this great candle and the whole thing the whole funeral was about here's a great and good one and bishop Mession came up when it was time for him to give the homily and he took the snuff the thing that you snuff out a candle with and he put the candle out right above the casket and he looked at the congregation and said, Only God is great. That's the story of Easter. But the freedom of Easter, well, there's humility. You don't get to be great, only Jesus is good. I don't get to be good. But the joy is that you don't have to be anymore. If you're tired of that, give it up today and follow Jesus because he rose from the grave to tell you that he loves you anyway. And there's no story like that. There's no other story like that. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for your mercies. I ask you, please, Lord Jesus, to help us Help us know the truth of Easter's story about the one who was great and the one who was good dying for those who are not and rising so that we would be sure he loves us anyway. Amen.
0: This teaching was recorded as part of our current sermon series at Icon Church. During our weekly gatherings, we move from the teaching to a time of response. While we recognize it may be hard to capture that as you listen online,